I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I don't like blood and guts But I love them when they're lengthily discussed Welcome to the 15th season of With Gorley and Rust, Minin' the Shining. Minin' the Shining, Matt, it's so good to see you. You too, Paul. We've been away for a couple weeks. We haven't even seen each other or really talked that much. I know, I know, but uh, we just did a mailbag and it felt good. It felt good to get back into that canvas mailbag. It felt right and it felt so right to get started here with this Shining season that even though we planned it recently, it feels like spiritually has been a long time coming. Yeah, I mean, uh, when it began or when it ended, it's as if it's the question that's asked in the last shot of The Shining, Matt. Yeah. When was he the caretaker? When did we want to do The Shining? We've always wanted to do The Shining. That's right. That's right. It just feels good. This episode, we're just going to talk about the film before we get even into all the lore and the arcana of the Toshin book series. Mm-hmm. Andy Daly was supposed to join us for this, but there's a scheduling issue, so we're hoping oh, no. that he he may be here for a future episode. Yes, please. Oh, good golly. Just to have an Andy Daly shining uh, thoughts. I'd love it. Absolutely, love it. absolutely. Um we, let's let's cover a little bit of biz so sure. we can get that out of the way and just and just do this. First of all, for those of you not watching right now, because there are Patreon subscribers, the trustees, who are watching this for the first season ever on With Gorley and Russ being live screamed. Live screamed. You can go to patreon.com slash with Gorley and Rust and watch these as they happen, or after the fact, if you're a baby xenomorph subscriber at that level. But even if you're not, you at certain levels you get movie commentaries, you get mailbag episodes, you yeah. get vid bits. Oh, this is the ultimate vid bit. This is more yeah. than a bit. It's a vid switch, which like vid, a sandwich. Vid witch. A vid witch. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Ludwig van Lidwich. Oh, there's also cozy tournaments, cozy brackets, um, occasional pop-ons from us. There's a discord community. You, yeah. you can't go wrong. And I hope for everybody, uh, you know, seeing us right now, this isn't like a real, you know, 
ooh, I'm seeing Mark and Brian out shopping for groceries situation right now. It's like, that, that doesn't match what I hear. That very thing, is that why you say it? Because that very thing happened to me where I listened to Mark and Brian forever and thought one was the other and the other was the other. Ooh, and well, I that's a sort of... Ooh. It was tough to, to wrap my head around the, the other way. But not to keep going back to The Shining, but I mean, I think the main thing that we learned after reading that book is... It's about the uncanny, man. That seemed what Stanley Kubrick was all about. And that's a little bit of the uncanny there. Yeah. Ooh, I thought Mark and Brian were the other. And now I have to have a different voice come out of a head, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. These days with the internet, it's easy to check. But back then, it was just billboards. Yeah, and also, you know, you guys uh, might have seen us through our work. (laughs) And uh, so you're not, like, totally freaked out. Um. We read the, the, the Baby Xenomorph subscribers as they come in, the new ones. So if you are a newbie, Baby Xenomorph, email us at withgorleyandrustpod at gmail.com. Or is it just with withgorleyandrust at gmail.com? I think it's just with withgorleyandrust at gmail.com. Oh, great. We'll read some of those at the end. Um, real quick announcement. My uh, group, Super Ego, has a live show coming up in Los Angeles. Oh, F yeah. F, it's called F yeah. <laughs> it's at the F yeah fest. And let me look at <laughs> No, up. I'm kidding. Don't Actually, get that confused. It's at the Dynasty Typewriter. Um, on August 24th, we're doing Super Ego Forgotten Classics, where we take a novel that we've never read and we improvise it based on the first and the last line and the list of characters. And uh, you can get tickets for that now. Oh, it's, we're doing Ulysses. That is awesome. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun to do. Anything for you? Yes. Uh, thank you for asking, <laughs> Matt. Um, I, uh, and by the way, that sounds awesome. Uh, Super thank Ego you. is legendary, and oh. people should check them out. Uh, Friday, August twenty fifth at the Lodge Room. Oh. Uh, my band, Don't Stop or We'll Die, is doing a live show, uh, and uh, yeah, we got a couple of special guests. But check it out, uh, Lodge Room, Friday, August twenty fifth. We'll see you there. We were gonna join, but this this Dobo's out of town. <laughs> What's or, a dobo shirt? A, a, a doink boy? A do- yeah, a doink boy. No, this doink you, boy's out of town. You're not a doink boy. <laughs> I'm a doink don't, man. Don't put yourself down that I'm way. I'm a doink grandpa. Uh, but people could have a real fun uh, two, two nights out there if they wanted to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And finally, we also got to say goodbye to a couple greats from the cinema world. W- William Friedkin. William Friedkin. Uh, yeah, that just he just passed away. Uh, um. Good golly. I mean, we've talked about The Exorcist uh, before. We've referenced it, but we've never covered it. We've never it. covered it. Yeah. Uh, but the, that's true. Uh, but um, I think we've always uh, given props that, hey, that's just the scariest movie ever made, forever, and will be. And imagining a movie that could even top it and top whatever impact it had not just on audiences but the genre of horror itself oh, yeah and one of my favorites the sorcerer sorcerer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is in its own right is a horror movie in a way it's like a impending doom horror movie or something how would you definitely it, it definitely feels like a horror movie uh in the suspense stuff yeah like, ooh, this seems like it, it's only gonna it can only go bad and i'm just watching things go bad yeah um and then uh uh, uh um deal of the century i've never we love seen our it. early think... uh, 80s chase movies uh, <laughs> uh 
No, and I just mentioned uh, in the mailbag uh, to live and die uh, in that's LA. Right. Yeah. That's uh, awesome. I think that might be uh, my favorite of uh, his, but then also uh, cruising. Uh, I mean, uh, just not to list his titles. I think he seemed like somebody who um, had great passion uh, for filmmaking. Also, seemed like somebody who. Uh, um, uh, suffer no fools, which is pretty cool. Yeah, and wasn't afraid to shoot off a round of ammunition on the set of The Exorcist. <laughs> oh, and I'm, it's a little bit of a relief that he, I mean, that's no relief, but it's, uh, uh, he seemed to live a long life, too, so yeah. that's good. Yeah, he was, um, what, 87? Yeah, and I just, you know, up until a couple months ago, I was, I'd watch, he's got the best Q&As, so oh. watching him, uh, uh, and you, uh, but the, uh, yeah, he, uh, with the, his attitude of just like, yeah, uh, he'll call him like I'm seeing. He's really funny. Yeah. Yeah. And when you see a picture of him, cause he, his heyday really was in the seventies, maybe the early eighties. He just looks like one of those 70 directors, seventies directors. And he, he kind of yeah. looks like Robert Evans a little bit to me. Yes, yeah, the big glasses and then whatever that hairstyle yeah. was of the um good golly, what it's kind of like a uh romantic <laughs> it's tamped down it's business um what's the uh, business swashbuckler <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll accept with, that. With big glasses. Yeah. 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 And then secondly, uh, we can talk about this as little or as much as you want, because I know this hits close to home, but Paul Rubens. Yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. sorry, my friend. I know oh. you kn- knew him and loved him, and uh, what a, what a yeah. loss. Yeah. No, thank you. Uh, yeah, it, was, it is uh, a loss. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, you don't have to say anything if yeah. you don't want to. We can just... This makes me really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, me too. We I don't know how it. to talk about it without... Uh, yeah, but the, what were you say so you just watched... Uh, well, I, sh- I showed Glenn Peavy's Big Adventure, and hey. she loved it. Yeah. And she loves... I'll go like, I'm trying to use the phone. And she'll go, I'm trying to phone. That's just also awesome. like she mixes up the words to uh, Tomorrow by Annie, and she goes... Tomorrow, I love you. Tomorrow, you're only away a day away. <laughs> hey, that's still true, though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the, uh, uh, I was glad watching it and enjoying it. Uh, I have thought uh, before, like, oh, Bert Lahr has, like, kind of the coolest uh, acting um, job in the, in the world, which is, like, a... Wizard of Oz is probably the most watched movie ever yeah. around the world by people. And because uh, you see it when you're a little kid. Yeah. And, you know, people get around to watching that more than Gone with the Wind or something. Right. Yeah. And so nobody these days is really talking Clark Gable. No. Right. Not, not but me. they are talking Burt Lahr. They're talking about that cowardly lion. Oh, yeah. And he makes um, for decades. Uh, young and old laugh the exact same level. Yeah. And uh, you saying Glenn watching it, I have thought that's been the thing that's made me really happy recent, uh, lately after, or, or is the thing that uh, makes me feel good is like, uh, oh, he, uh, Paul as Peewee has um, uh, uh, Bert Lar level yeah. uh, 
kids will always watch it and it will always make them laugh and adults will watch it with them and it's not even like a ooh the parents get something yeah, they get exactly. an American Idol reference it truly in, works in Shrek levels. it's like yeah. it's and kids are sophisticated enough that sometimes they'll be laughing at the grown up stuff that grown ups think they get and the grown ups will laugh more at the kid stuff um, but my dad loved Pee Wee and he is not really the type and I was 12 when I think that movie came out 85 yeah 84. yeah 85 that's so awesome I was 12 and he he was always like let's watch Pee Wee let's watch Pee Wee and he would do the impression and oh my god that's a, yeah I mean all the um all the coolies love Pee Wee yeah. it's true and uh Paul in case uh people didn't know I co-wrote this Pee Wee's Big Holiday movie with Paul and uh became friends with him and uh uh and outside of that, but the, um, uh, what was I going to talk about with the, uh, Paul, uh, why was the I? The coolies uh, that uh, work it on both levels. Oh, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, um, I hope I didn't that, put you on the spot. No, 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 not at all. Not at all. Uh, the, that, uh, everybody loves, um, Paul aspect of it is, um, Gosh, I really truly uh, lost my train of thought. Where I have so much to share, and I don't well, know I think how to it, talk about in, it. In you not saying it, everything is said. So yeah, we can, yeah, yeah, we can absolutely move on. I'm. Uh, so, but I, I, I oh, I loved him, and uh, he was uh, more than a collaborator and more than a friend, and. Uh, you know, my dad and him would joke about how he, Paul was like my dad on the West Coast. Oh my God! Uh, my dad, the, my Paul is just uh, like eight months younger than my dad. Really? So they're very close in age. Yeah. And um, uh, getting to uh, have him almost as a I won't say father figure or anything on that level, but just a, a grown up who. Um, I really revered from as a kid, but also as a grown man and teaching me how to live and navigate life. And, uh, but he, um, uh, like it's, yeah, it's crazy. Like I was thinking about like the, um, in terms of the people I've met after moving to LA, um, and who I spent just one-on-one -on -one time with, where nobody else is around, he's by, uh, outside of my wife, yeah. who I met after I moved, he's by far the person I've spent like the most time with. Really? I didn't realize that. Yeah, I, in terms of one-on-one, -on -one, uh -huh. somebody I met after I moved to LA. Just he's spent a lot of time working on the, it was, it was mainly work time. We're going to his house and working together, but it's truly just like, ooh, so many memories. Oh, man. But I, I was talking to him, uh, we were keeping in touch the during this uh, and stuff. So, it, you know, I'm not speaking from a place of like shock and sadness. Right. It's just a, a sort of a, a, it's just what's been on my mind. And if this podcast is a little bit of just sharing with other oh, I'm glad um, you feel okay to do that. Um, now I feel like I'm, I should have said something no, too, no, I no, did, didn't no. even fully put it together all that. So I, I'm sorry if I put you on this. Not at all. Not at all. I'm happy to talk about it. Uh, and just to get out of kind of like the emo stuff 
if I just bringing it back to a, hey, we talk about movies and TV shows and what we love about them, I will say two things real quick. Yeah. So uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. The very beginning, when Pee-wee steps out of his house and he turns on the, the water. Yeah. Um, and it sprays uh, everywhere. And the neighbor uh-huh. comes out. He's like, good morning. He's like, morning, Pee-wee. He's like, I'm going to water my lawn now. Okay, Pee-wee. And he closes his window. And then the water like sprays on the guy's window. And uh, he's laughing inside and waving. No other human being in comedy has ever done that. Where... The weirdo isn't the annoying person. Yeah. And you don't get a close-up of somebody being like, I'm fucking neighbors with this dude. Not only that, but he's cool. Everybody wants to be him. He's cool, and he loves this. Yeah, that's so true. And that that moment really is just like a micro version of what his work is altogether. It's like, I imagine that's probably Paul's utopia of like what he'd want to live in where... People are all weird. There's no normal and weird yeah. person. It's everybody's there and uh, on the same team. I never put that together that he didn't take the easy route of fish out of water. Yeah, he would talk yeah. about how it was like um, um, nobody ever goes, uh, what is it, uh, Halloween, trick or treat? Why are you wearing that? Yeah. Like right. no character never does that. Yeah. Um, so I just think, just not on a, whoa, that's a comedian doing something new it's also just pretty revolutionary in terms of like right. putting out in the world this idea of like kindness and goodness uh, um, <clears throat> and I think that's probably what people respond to a lot and then the the other just oh technical not emotional not this person who I you know loved and has passed away like a, a is um because I could go on and on about that. Uh, but the uh, uh, Pee-wee's Playhouse has this, like, um, he told me once that uh, he didn't ever have to take notes from CBS, right? And so there were some times where they would be delivering the master tape to put into the machine on Saturday mornings, like, minutes before it was going to air on CBS. Wow. Because they were working with different animation houses, and so getting everything collected and put in a master tape to be sent to it was a thing. And um, he, uh, you know, and that's like the what is it? The Columbia Broadcasting System. That is like the network of networks. Uh-huh. And this guy has like a complete beam immediately, and it ain't no. I'm a weirdo on some whatever. Like, it's the thing that's being pumped into people's homes. There, I point people to it. It's in the latter season, maybe in the last season. There's a part where Pee Wee feeds a dog, and it's a close-up of a dog's face. And I counted the seconds it's 56 seconds of an unbroken close-up extreme close-up of a dog eating out of a bowl right okay <laughs> so the genius of whatever paul rubens is there and the these were always the three levels he could hit one it's so funny 
the watching this and be like, oh my God, this is going on and on and it's gross and it's weird. And then it gets to a point where it's not even the like, oh, it went on so funny and now I'm back laughing again. It enters the surreal uh-huh. to like almost hypnotic. That's the second level. This dude's doing like Andy Warhol factory <laughs> level like experimental film on CBS and they never watched it. He just gets to beam it. How into, did he get that deal? It was just the, they were happy that this movie star wants to put right. a show on Saturday mornings that grownups never would turn yeah. to, but now they're yeah. getting people watching and it's winning Emmys for them. And it's the right. only thing that, you know, people are writing good reviews about on Saturday morning. And then the, so that's just amazing. Oh, it's, he's an artist. Yeah. He's funny. He's an artist. And then the last thing was uh, every kid has had the experience of what's a dog look like when it eats food? And you get your head down there, you just kind of like watch it and you get hypnotized by it. And the fact that he was able to like somehow get your brain back into like hypnotic kid mode. Yeah. I think that's like the what he was doing each time. Those three things, it's pretty... Comedian art and like transporter of your spirit. It's really, it's cool. I'm so glad you said that. I didn't think I was going to be talking about this. Well, look at Listen, I I want to apologize again for putting you on the spot, but actually now I'm glad I did because that I felt what you said was so well said about him and so insightful and things I didn't know. So I'm really glad I screwed you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I didn't mean to, I got so many different thoughts and feelings about it. It's hard to sum them up, but yes, yes, yes. Well, well put. And you know what? Honestly, if you're a new listener, because this is a shining season and you probably have already figured it out, this is a podcast where we go at length, at our own pace. About a thing that's not even about the movie. But that's that's okay. (laughs) And if you're still with us, you've figured that out. And uh, it's easy listening podcasts in here as we move into Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick's The Shine. The two SKs. Yeah, that's right. How about that? Is there any others? Well, it's also kind of weird, just the name stuff. Like, you know, there's the classic, hey, Jack plays Jack. Yeah. Danny Danny plays plays Danny. Danny. But the actor's name is Danny Lloyd. Lloyd the bartender. Right. Booga booga. And it's weird that his wife, Shelley Duvall plays his wife, Scatman Torrance. (laughs) Yes, how did I never even think about the Scatman Torrance? Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so many little, uh, I mean... Is that just the tip of the iceberg of the cuckoo things that went on with The Shining? I, I mean, that's the thing, right? Maybe we're just going to talk about the movie for this episode. I think that's good. So not like get too into the weeds with the details because we both have our books that for the next episode. I imagine we've got those bookmark and we'll talk minutia, trivia and all that stuff. This yes. is more about the feeling of The Shining. We've covered it in a commentary before, mm-hmm. and we've talked about it a lot, but we've never done the movie. The feeling. I love talking about the feeling and the experience yeah. of watching The Shining. Because, uh, yeah, you know, 
people say Kubrick, oh, he's too cold. He doesn't feel. I say quite the opposite. When you watch his movies, you get nothing but feelings. Yeah, you get nothing but... You, the listener that thinks he's yeah. not feeling. Not you guys. I'm just you. You, the, the royal. Yeah, the royal you. You don't have any feeling if you don't feel anything in The Shining. In fact, you, I think you like those, those movies because you end up walking away from them being a little rattled because your feelings got so mixed yeah. up. Or maybe he's also putting little gaps of no feeling for you to fill in mm. the feeling, which in itself is an interesting way to watch a movie, I think. Those know? gaps are really great. There's a few times there where uh, in crucial moments, you want somebody's reaction in a close-up and you're denied it. I think the first big one is in the job interview. Mm. When, take it, take it. Well, well, when the boss says, hey, uh, tells him the whole story of what uh, uh, the caretaker did, chopped up his kids, and then it cuts and you're like, how's he feel about this? What's mm. Jack think about this? And nothing. He's just kind of like, he's been so responsive in all these other ways. The doctor doesn't give any sort of response. When Wendy like says he broke Danny's arm, you're kind of looking for what the doctor is going to give you so you can base how you should feel. Lloyd, the bartender... And Grady kind of do that too. You're expecting. Well, how do you interpret that? Because it feels fairly intentional to me. And I'm not a big fan of reading too much into what the filmmaker may or may not have done. But with Kubrick, you're fair to at least say he's considered it and it's it's measured. But I mean, I, I don't like just so we can say this as a matter of fact, like the what people into it or whatever think something I like the observation I and you don't it, like people providing it, definitive answers yeah if it yeah. comes with or and interpretations and definitive answers of what Kubrick meant or what they right. think that's sort of, I'll listen to it but I really listen to that stuff so somebody points out oh the window in the boss's office really couldn't be there technically because there's a hallway there <laughs> that alone is the thing that I go, great, now I get to think about that or not or whatever. It's just then when somebody's like interpretation, it's interesting. It's just not where I go to. So I'm saying uh, throat clearing here. Like that's not where I want to go with this is sort of like, and I think what yeah. this, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I like that because reading this long, long book, you do start to understand that actually, if this is kind of the definitive material on Kubrick, he was very much, I do this, and then you take away and do with it what yeah. you will. So I like to do a certain amount of interpreting, but only with the understanding that it's not its not the gospel. It's mm-hmm. not canon. It's just, yeah, the interesting thing about this movie is what we individually take away from it. So the no close-up on Jack when the job interview guy says mm-hmm. that is, well, then you start thinking, well, the question a lot of people have about this movie is, does he go crazy? Was he always crazy? Mm-hmm. So is he a sociopath that isn't affected by this or he just, it just doesn't get to him. No big deal. Or the doctor, she's so clinical as a doctor. So she has to remain professional mm-hmm. or yeah. What is this thing all leading toward fate? Yeah. Know? And our relationship to Wendy exactly is a little bit like, is she a doormat? So you're waiting to see if the doctor's going to let us know how to feel about how Wendy relates. It's kind of like what the whole movie's going to yeah. be. And you're like, just look at, yeah, I, it is completely opposite to like whatever the Spielberg look is, which uh, is it's on the face first. Right. They look off screen, they react to it. 
your brain goes, what are they looking at? And then it goes to it. This is like, I know sometimes I was watching Eyes Wide Shut and a lot of the like sex cult stuff will be, you first see the thing and then you see the person looking at it. Uh-huh. So you have to deal with like, well, how do I feel about it? And then it cuts to the person you're like, they're going to let me know how to feel about it. And then they have nothing. Yeah. Like, Jesus. So I don't know what it, I think it is like a, whatever the gaps to, I mean, yeah. I thought there was an interesting line at the very end of the book where Stanley Kubrick was like, and I think it could speak to how to like approach it a little bit is like, he's like, uh, I acknowledge that if certain things reoccur in somebody's work, that probably was unconscious. And that's, interesting that in itself is probably you know uh has depth to explore just the fact that it's reoccurring so i think like that's particularly so like just throughout his movies going like oh when do things what are his interests that keep going back to but it's particularly interesting with the shining because it's all about recursion and like repeating and stuff so like the amount of times like yeah going back over something but anyway the what do you think it is like not letting jack it's like so you you don't know when it, if he's going what's your answer to that matt do you think the hotel i don't i mean it really him, like not to be too lofty about this but it goes back to hamlet not just thematically but in a sense of what did shakespeare intend if he has an answer we don't know so what's most fun for you to imagine mm-hmm. and i bet it's probably fun to imagine it both ways depending on when you see it what context you see it right. in i like to imagine that he goes crazy but he's also not a great guy going into it so it's not a leap for me to imagine that he's kind of sociopathic and he has the tendencies so he's susceptible to whatever mm. the overlook's powers are as where you know wendy does, why why wouldn't wendy be taken over mm-hmm. because it chooses mm-hmm. and it recognizes the threat of Danny and it recognizes mm-hmm. the susceptibility of Jack. Mm-hmm. So you've got the perfect storm. Yeah. And that, that to me makes the most sense and is the most fun. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. The, uh, it, yeah, it seems like he wouldn't have killed his family if he hadn't gone to the hotel and it right like yeah. that wouldn't have necessarily been Jack's. No, I don't think he would have. It it took him going and being trapped in a hotel, and so the yeah the hotel must sense that in him. Uh, well, remember too in this book it tells you that uh, for a, quite a while Scatman Crothers was going to be the ultimate killer. He, he was going to get the shining possessed in him, Haller, yeah. and yeah, so he seems pretty cool all the way through. So that kind of blows that theory out of the water and just goes to show you how much Kubrick, I think was wrestling with the ending of this all the way through. But I do feel like he generally really landed that plane. Yeah. The asking the question of why does it speak to Dick like that? And why would, do you, it makes me wonder, do you think, Jack has the shining sort of like how a father would give it to his son. So when he's seeing those things or is it mm. no, anybody could kind of be brought into the hotel and the hotel will razzmatazz them if they really want to. May, I mean, maybe it is like the light side and the dark side of the force. He, he's like dark side force sensitive. And uh-huh. you know, this was 
they were just about to shoot Empire Strikes Back, and Empire Strikes Back was waiting for them to clear the set. So oh, maybe and- Kubrick was at night shuffling around. <laughs> In the Dagobah. You know. Well, because, you know, that's really great. If you look in the back, you can see Yoda peeking through the windows of the shiny. <laughs> no, the Wampas out in the snow. Yeah, and yeah, the yeah. Uh, Well, because I guess the hotel starts showing its stuff to Wendy, who we haven't necessarily thought at that point was shine or force yeah. sensitive. Yeah, right. So maybe, because when I was growing up as a kid, I interpreted it as like, Fathers and sons have the same thing. Jack does have the a little bit of the shining, but his like um drinking or something gets mm. me- uh, I don't know, like yeah, clouds it or and the fact that Danny's so innocent as a that's child. That's what it is. It's yeah. a child can kind of be able to more freely tap into it. Yeah. Um but uh talking about having seen it as a kid, what was your first, uh, let's talk that, like when did you first see the shiny experiences and memories? I've told this on the podcast, but just for a final recap where my family and I went to see Going in Style <laughs> and this was a family movie and they showed the bloody trailer, elevator trailer from The Shining. Lucky in this movie. you. I was freaked out by it, so much so that I... I thought we'd talk about this in the the book episode, but mm-hmm. it's relevant mm-hmm. here. I thought I imagined that, and they specifically talk about it in this Tashin book about how they showed that trailer during Going in Style, and a lot of families freaked out. And I thought <gasps> for sure I had made that up or That's something. That's awesome. And yes. I had even I told this story on the podcast before, yeah. I'm sure, and before I've even read that book, and so I felt so vindicated because I I do feel like a lot of my childhood memories are so bastardized at this point <laughs> and filtered through multiple iterations of the memory. Uh-huh. But I have such a distinct memory of that. So I was so aware of this movie for so long. I've also told this story. I remember my neighbor telling me the story of The Shining because someone he knew had seen it, like his mom or something. Best and way to hear a story yeah and yep. he told about how <laughs> jack breaks through the wall and says here's johnny and reaches his hand in and, he, and then he just said with full impunity that shelly duvall cuts his arm off and then he goes and you know an arm will grow back <laughs> and so i was confused by that for years that could an arm grow back never still ever having seen this movie and then the first time i watched this movie was on saturday afternoon television it was just shown on saturday at yes. like noon yes with lots of commercials and it yep. was obviously edited but i just remember watching it with a kind of dread but just a slight more curiosity mm-hmm. and that was my first first time seeing it and dread then, with curiosity yeah and then what age was the, you said uh, uh, i must you watched it on that saturday an, uh, 12 13 14 mm-hmm. maybe and then I'm sure I've had seen it, but I remember then really sitting down as an adult and watching it with an adult's mind. Mm-hmm. So I felt like I saw it in different versions and it, it feels like a memory. It feels like a, a fear and it feels like a movie and it feels like a masterpiece yeah. all wrapped up. <laughs> so it like came to me primally and emotionally before it ever came to me intellectually, Same. which actually maybe is probably either the perfect or the worst way to see a Kubrick film. I don't know, but it's an interesting experiment nonetheless. Yeah. I think having uh, all your sensors open to whatever is like the best kind of feeling with the, like, and what, so watching as a kid, it was my first Kubrick movie. I think I saw as a kid. So just whatever his 
vibe is was like the first time I got it through. The, did, you said your dad showed you the 2001, so did you get to? I think I'm. I think I saw that after because I think he. I think he said he didn't show it to me. He said you got to see it, and I watched it. I don't think we watched it together. Because just like an editing thing of like you know in 2001 when they touched the monolith uh-huh. and um, they. Um, show or, or when uh, he starts beating up the ape starts beating up the animal and then it cuts to the their vision of what the monolith looked like when it first appeared uh-huh. so your brain just does the editing thing of like oh they're doing that because they touched the monolith it's just like a cool oh movies can tell you that just by, it was all over my head but for sure uh, but uh, in the shining like the first time I got whatever that experience is, is like when he in, touches the knob in room 237 and it cuts to like what's going on. And and that my brain as a kid could still absorb like what that meant is like, I think what's cool about when you, you're a kid yeah. and watch one of these is like you're, and it was also just so exciting that it was like, I did it. I didn't know it's what an adult loves about it. It's like, I didn't know what everything meant. What was the context? How old were you? Um, it was on, yeah, you saw it on a Saturday after I saw it exactly like how Stanley Cooper contended, uh, edited for content, <laughs> separated by commercials on the USA network. Cropped. Cropped. Yeah, 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 yeah. The thing I remember the most was the commercial. Every time they go to commercial or come back, it was, Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, edited for television, but they kept showing the woman come out of the bathroom, out of the <laughs> bath, over and over again. Every commercial, and they took so many commercials. I swear the movie must have taken four hours. There's so many shining heads out there. There's a guy who collects just the T people's recordings of TV airings of The Shining. Just to see the com- local commercials. Yeah, I guess. But yeah. I remember my sister telling me, oh, my friend and I, we watched The Shining and it was on, there's so many commercials during it. She said the exact same yeah. thing. And I was like, how did they do the bathroom scenes? Because I wondered, and she said they fuzzed it yeah, out. Yeah, they pixelated it. Yeah. So that's what you saw uh-huh. too? Oh uh-huh. my God. Yeah. That's a pretty bold choice the pixelation i mean it's because it has to be i mean i know i saw the lady bathroom scene the first time i watched it because that that and the final maze chase at the end were the two well there were those holy shit things that hit me when i saw it as a movies that television would respect but you'd think at noon on a saturday it'd be a different story but (laughs) i always remember the unedited airings of the Godfather and the Godfather two on network television where Ooh. it was like viewer discretion advised and Classy. same thing with like roots and stuff like yeah. that. They would, they would do it for the important things. Schindler's list. I remember they aired it without, um, editing for content, but also not, uh, without commercial interruption. Oh, that's, that's um, but the, yeah, the, uh, um, so yeah, I saw it like on USA on probably like a Monday or Tuesday night movie of the year. Uh, but it was like, did you, did you know you wanted to sit down and watch it or it was just on? No, I was like eight or nine and it was on. And my impression was when the lights were shining through the window, it was the first time I saw how light does look when it reflects off snow. Oh, and like, I just never seen it in a movie. And I remember being like, 
Whoa, it's doing the thing. How a room looks all weird when it's brightly lit on a winter day. That was just like... crazy is that was studio lighting. I know, yeah. It was just big pumped light, yeah. Um, Wall of lights. And then uh, the... But I remember watching it, a commercial comes, walking into the kitchen and reporting to my family, like, there's this thing on and it's this and you know my family all likes horror movies and yeah. thrillers like oh that's the shiny it's great you love it is it right a passage kid yeah you popped your cherry yeah 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 so i watched it and uh i remember yeah the stuff that i remember thinking really tickled me most was the wait when he first went into the bar it was just him and the bartender nobody else in the ballroom the second time he went in the bartender was there and the ghosts were there and the butt, well, why weren't they just yeah. stuff that didn't make it easy or even just no. kind of like, well, what does it fucking matter? Like, I remember as a kid, like, really. And then the final picture that it was like, I'd watched most of the movie. I think I probably started watching when they're like moving in yeah. at the beginning. Yeah, that's the other thing. I bet we both didn't come to it right at the beginning. Yeah. We just came in. Yeah. So, uh, there hasn't been any real suggestion of like, yes, when you go, the soul is absorbed in the hotel and it takes your picture and puts it up at the, you know. Yeah. So when you see that, I remember thinking, well, what's that mean? Why was he back then? Yes. And then going, I guess it's kind of like how that Grady guy was at two different time time periods. And that was basically where it ended then. It was yeah. just like, uh, oh, I guess there can be multiple ghosts. Sometimes a ghost isn't the per. It was just like that mush of an experience. But it was terrifying. But not in a way that like I couldn't go to bed that night. It doesn't. Yeah. And I'll say this about The Shining. I watch it now and it's not scary to me I watch it as like and it's not because I've watched it so much it's not scary anymore it's just like it's one of the big questions about this movie I think it's more dreadful than yes scary. it's a mood piece but it's not like a chiller as a, evidenced by the fact that I could sit there as a kid and watch it if a Halloween were on even at that young, right at that age I wouldn't have been able to watch it it's the daylight horror movie for yeah. the most part and I I'm just remembering too. I think I had a black and white television, so I was watching this in black and white. Wow, damn! Too, so it was yeah. probably high contrast, mm-hmm. you know, looking very daylight. And yeah, I mean the, uh, but I I did feel like true suspense when the mom is trying to get the son out the window while the dad. Yeah, busted. I remember sure. feeling suspense during that, and feeling suspense the first time I watched when he's chasing his kid through the maze. Yeah. And um, screaming his name and stuff and being like really scared by that. I had, especially because I just, I just saw myself in Danny. Just, I looked just like that. I posted this on Patreon Oh God, recently. yes. People yeah. need to see that. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so good, dude. I looked just like that. I was, could at times be a loner like that, you know, and. You would have been six in 1979 when they shot this. Yeah. Yeah, that's his age in this movie. I know. I mean, it was it's crazy the analog, and and I could speak to ghosts at the time. <laughs> talk to my finger of a man that lives in my throat. Um, I I mean I don't know if you were gonna say this, but 
anybody could have had the nicest dad in the world, but everybody had an experience with their dad that was like scary. Oh, and that's course. who he becomes in your mind as a child yeah. is like, I'm running and my father is bellowing and chasing me is like, yeah. I mean, I've joked about it with the shine. It's like, it works because when you're a kid, you're like, oh, my parents could kill me. Yikes. I know. And then when you're a parent <laughs> and you become an adult, you're like, yikes, I could kill a kid. Not because I want to or desire to. It's just more life hands you this extreme res- responsibility that comes with so many intense emotions. And so much in this case, because hearkening back to my Halloween experience, yeah. I love my dad. My dad is a wonderful man, but he is of a different generation mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. You know, for one thing, not it wasn't until reading this book that I realized that Stephen King was doing an allegory for the like beset father who's who's struggling with trying to work and also have a family. And my dad was a real workaholic, mm-hmm. so uh, he would come home agitated, and he was never abusive or bad or anything like that. But he was very stern at times, and and. Um, uh, what's the word like removed. Mm -hmm. But when I was freaking about that period, when I had to watch, when I'd watched Halloween and I was like so afraid and crying and going to bed, Mm -hmm. he had no patience for it and could get, could yell like, like Jack. So there is a, a hitting home version of this horror that I think when I watched it for the first time, even as a young teenager was like, yeah, I was like, Tommy, you drool in there. <laughs> You're going around. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, the, uh, it is like, um, I think any kid would, you know, you can't put it into words, but anybody who watches The Shining when you're a kid, I think you can kind of pick up on, oh, I feel this when something's going on with my family, with my parents that isn't fully known to me and in my grasp and yeah. out of, obviously out of my control. And this was the year my parents got divorced. Wow. Also, my mom was super nurturing, like yeah. Wendy too. Yeah. You know? So yeah, it was very... Well, and I think most uh, kids would put themselves in a situation where like, if I was trapped in a hotel and daddy wanted to kill us, Thank God mommy would be there because yeah. she would protect me. I think that's like basically yeah. <laughs> like, but the like, if a kid who's, yeah, going through, uh, their family's going through a separation or there's like some sort of, and I say this as myself, but literally everybody by definition probably came from some form of dysfunctional family. For so sure. I think it's just easy to like, feel that of like there's like there's a part where Jack and Wendy have an argument oh it's after the don't bother me when I come in here leave me alone if you ever hear me typing and then the next scene is like Danny just like roaming around by himself and he comes up on the two twins and I was like that feeling that I think is like what kids get is <laughs> kind of like my parents had a big argument. Sure. It makes sense. Also around the corner, there's like two dead ghost kids. It's all scary. It's yeah. all like around the corner, not I never my control. I thought about how much of this movie I relate to from Danny's perspective until we're talking about it now. I also love that Jack's like, don't come in here where I'm working in the giant common area. Maybe pick a room. 
Yes, there's plenty of like off to the side rooms. Yeah, that's she's that allowed ain't no to man watch cave. TV in the kitchen, and that's it. That ain't no man cave, buddy. Yeah, can we do a pee break? Yes, please. Okay, we'll be. Uh, you guys stay tuned. All right, and uh, podcast wise, live screamers, you just keep watching. Podcasters, we'll be right back. With Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. With and rest. We're back and we have backs. Both of us each possess a back. And yes. I got your back. And I got your back. Um, well, what, how do we, do you want to talk a little logo loco or something? Or do you just yeah, want to talk whatever? Whatever. Anything that comes to mind, however you feel. I mean, that's the nice thing about this season. It's real willy-nilly, you know? It's open-ended, like yeah. the... the Shining itself. Yeah. Anything we don't cover today will be ample opportunity to cover at some point. So, Because I'm pretty bummed out that the old Warner Brothers logo, uh, the hey, you're a moniker now. That's right. The, the upside old... down Saul Bass Warner W is my icon for my website. But I love it. So they don't even put that on there anymore. Yeah. If you want to see it, you can get the uh, original VHS release of the shining in the old clamshell mm. Warner Brothers uh, thing and uh that's the only way you can see the uh um the blue colored end credits right cuz it was in the theatrical release and so, then the first those are so star wars feeling to me yes the they end are credits of star wars same basic font same color do you think there was just a in-house Elstree Studios like we said, guy? I mean, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's a um, whoever did the credits for Paramount Pictures comedies for 20 years was always using uh, Ferris Bueller and Wayne's World. Use the same one. It's this big block with like cursive. Right, it's a combo that's like mm. so fun. It makes you go like, "Yeah, I'll watch a comedy. It's the best thing in the world." I don't know what cursive with in. big block letters. <laughs> um, but the um, if you watch Barry Lyndon on Criterion, they preserve the original um, oh. opening uh, logo because it's synced with the logo, so mm. the music goes like. Roo, 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 roo. 
and like the big logo is like coming up as like and they kept it because it's like yeah that's part of the movie it's like the music it's the Saul Bass with, one yeah oh wow and so uh, remember it, I wish they would do that they they put the little logo on the the what's the Shane Black Ryan Gosling oh the nice guys that ha- that has the old Warner yes yeah. yeah um like yeah that. if people um. This doesn't have the original VHS release, but it's like the 1988 VHS release. If you go on to Internet Archive, somebody uploaded that, uh, the VHS, and I watched it, dude. <laughs> Not for this one, but because... Um, I'll make an argument for it right now. I'm listening. I'm sure. I think all these um, releases that have been done by Warner Brothers, these Kubrick movies are a little whack. They change the color timing mm-hmm. on them. They look complete. They look a lot different than what they were originally released as. They're not supposed to be full widescreen. They're kind of in the Academy aspect ratio. And so the black bars at the top and the bottom are supposed to like it's made for your TV to be projected without pan and scan and without letterbox. So they, when they stretch it out on a Blu-ray or a DVD, you lose a lot of the top and bottom of the and the sides. Like it gets mixed up. So you're not seeing a lot. Same with eyes wide shut. I have a recorded eyes wide shut off a showtime that's released as it was released theatrically Oh. And it's impossible to get on DVD, but it looks great because it's just this. And when I watch The Shining in Square, in Aspect Academy Aspect, it's scarier. What? It's it's more unnerving, I should say, because when you see wide open spaces, yeah, I just saw it in the opening credits. It's scarier when you're seeing this big mountain and it's all like like squeezed really? in, as opposed to kind of like big open wide. This is a western. I wonder and if you're also having a bit of flashback to seeing it on I, TV. I think so. Yeah. The other thing I'll put in defense of the VHS original DVD release, I don't like these 5.1 sound things. Oh. And the sound designer, uh, I read an interview with him where he was like, oh yeah, Warner Brothers, their DVD releases, the sound is a little over-torqued, as he put it. And I've watched comparisons the music is so much better mono. Oh. It's like, it's not in your face. Yeah, and uh, I've no, I've been preferring watching stuff in mono now it's because easier. it gives you what the person really wants you to hear. Yeah, I know the the mixing is it's you know like no surprise. I think a lot of people understand this right now. Mixing for movies that find their way to home cinemas is so fucked up that it often just sounds like people are mumbling now and then the explosions go off and it's so loud and they what just is the- need to have a do you have a baby yes or no here's your setting yes yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> i just also think it's cooler and more sophisticated that somebody only had a track of sound or two tracks of sound and did the most with it to like, well, even regardless of what's better, that's the way it was made. Right. So it's not saying that the, you can't improve it, but at least offer it. 
Yes. God I think that's it. what people are frustrated by. It's like, yeah. you can't get the shining in the actual aspect ratio is filmed in the color. T- I mean, they've had issues where the ball used to be the tennis ball that rolled up to Danny instead of yellow was pink. Really? Yeah. Yeah. This movie of all movies should be, there should be a version. I mean, I watched the 4k one and it looked amazing. I mean, like when you can see like people's eyes in really detail, it is cool and like when you see jack nicholson in that shot where he's wearing the black sweater with the like yeah salt and pepper stubble yeah hey i don't mind having that in 4k buddy <laughs> i don't mind having that as a poster of the ceiling above my bed uh right next well, to farah when you were talking about how uh oh uh you know dad was at work you know that was my experience too you know what i noticed re-watching hmm. this uh, the shining recently and I was like, I'm going to look for this, see if it's the case. And when I watched it last night, it was the case. The only shot in the entire movie where it's just mommy, daddy, son in the same space with nobody else. The car. Just the three of them is the car. Yeah. At never again at right. any, isn't it wild? At any point, is it just the three of them? Whoa. The only time it comes closest is when Danny comes in and he's attacked and he's after the room 237 yeah. thing and the mom, Wendy, runs over to him. She picks him up, but Jack Nicholson is in the far background, like out of focus. It's not like, mm-hmm. so just on whatever the psychological thing that hits you when you're watching a shine, like that has to be in there. You're just like, oh, I never see... <laughs> Like, there's a point where she's making dinner, and I was like, oh, this is what a family is. Mom's in one room, dad's in another room writing, and the kid is, like, wandering around the house on the big wheel. It's like they never fully find a way to, like, despite it's only the three of them at a hotel together, they don't ever want to be the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, But yeah, that car thing shot is pretty cool, huh? And the fact, oh, God, I keep wanting to get into the trivia, but just that they... Set up Say that it. rear projection in the lobby, the lounge set of the Overlook. And it's, I mean, what's amazing, there's so many examples of this where you're like, well, holy shit, I never saw that. I did yeah, it. And yeah, and just to clarify, that means that Volkswagen Beetle was in the lobby lounge set, surrounded by a rear projection, but only in the back and maybe on one other side. So you actually see a shot of the crew like in the lounge set, but them sitting then in a little like carved out, cut yeah. out Volkswagen Beetle and yeah. then a rear projection screen. It's, yeah. And I, after I knew that, I watched it just to see like, oh, how do they really pull it off? I mean, so masterfully. And it's like the light coming through the windshield matches the what's going in the rear projection. So like when that? a tree opens yeah. up, it would open like... It's amazing. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, the, uh, that, um, little opening though, I was thinking with, um, it can be discussed. Uh, it's in the book, but it's also, you know, known that, um, there was two versions, the European version and, uh, they, mm, yeah. they cut out a, like 20 minutes of the movie. 20 minutes. I don't yeah. Think I realized that, uh, they cut out a big hunk of the movie and it's a lot of it is the early doctor stuff. Cause it's just too American or what? I think it was like, um, it, 
the movie didn't make as much money in America as they thought. Mm. So that's why the posters got that's changed. Right. Remember it went from yeah. like this cool Saul Blass yeah. black on yellow thing to when it went in Europe, it was just Jack Nicholson's yeah. face. And, um, he maybe re-edited it to make it punchier. Yeah. Um, so the, when I was rewatching it, I was thinking like, Oh, cause I've never seen that version before. Mm. That would mean the, scene i guess is danny has the vision of the elevator at the sink it goes to black and then it goes to the family driving up the mountain which is that's pretty, pretty powerful yeah it's pretty interesting the the and i've been thinking about like yeah what what's gained and lost by that like it what's gained is like that means that you get another fun little kind of gap with when jack you first hear about how jack hurt Danny by what he's telling to the bartenders. So you'd have a little bit of mystery of like, going to wonder that. Yeah. Did this really happen? Is it his interpretation of it? Um, the thing that I think is lost is it's the clear, like this is why Wendy is who Wendy is and why she's in this Mm. family a little bit, because I mean, it's maybe my favorite acting by Shelley Duvall in the movie is the scene where she's got the long, she's got the cigarette with the long ash yeah, and she's doing, I mean, so many things of like, it's what really great acting is, which is like, you can just see like how she's calibrating what she thinks the other, like you can just sense a real person there, how she's mm-hmm. talking about how her husband attacked her son. But I think if you lost that, then you would a little bit, maybe not. I think it would just kind of be like, what's the argument Wendy's making to herself? Why she keeps staying? It, it I think it helps a little bit with that, but maybe with no doctor could have been all right. I would love to see it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, and I think they take out the skeletons at the end and stuff too. That they Wendy did, sees. That's right. Cause that, that is something that, you know, some, some critics, I think, dinged it for that of what are we watching like a old haunted house movie yeah and i never questioned that until the i read that critical passage and then now that i can't quite get that out of my head that i can't that get it out of my head silly. either and it yeah. never bothered me before uh, me but either. i know um yeah i like i'd read that criticism before and after i'd read it i remember thinking like oh when i watch it i see a little bit why maybe it doesn't work is because it's the third of two really awesome visions. Yeah, yeah. The guy who's got the bloody forehead yeah. saying, uh, quite the party or yeah. whatever. And then the dog man, yeah. the dog man blowing yeah. the guy. Yeah. So after those two, and then the fourth one is the elevator. You finally right. see, oh, she's the one who sees the blood coming out of the elevator yeah. in the hotel. Skeletons with cobwebs. Ain't no, very scary in the context too of those. old school. Yeah. And those other ones are actually quite well stair-stepped to yep. just like a, mm-hmm. a death a sexual encounter mm-hmm. with no context that is probably the most remarkable image in the film to me yeah then going to what gives it a run for its money out of pure imagery yeah and uh yeah. just viscera of yeah like a bl- you yeah. probably don't need now i know <laughs> lee unkrich i listened to an interview with him and he made the argument um that 
if people do say, hey, that's from a hokey old horror movie, um, but uh, uh, we've seen that before. His, it's not even an argument. I think it's just him trying to understand like why it's there is like the hotel is trying to scare Wendy as much as possible. So she doesn't go out and get Danny. So they're just trying to overwhelm her. If Wendy is a, a confirmed horror movie and book addict, like Jack yeah. Nicholson, like Jack said at the beginning of the movie, she likes horror movies. Right. She would so the hotel that. is like, yeah, skeletons and cobwebs. That's yeah. up your alley of scary. It, it just Dog still, fellatio. We yeah. all know you're into that. Well, Wendy. it just doesn't make sense with the other stuff because it's like, oh, he. they know you. Also, it's funny that like when the hotel's trying to freak her out that it's like, for Wendy, it's like, kinky gay hookups. <laughs> ah, that's the worst, scariest thing I can see right now. Are you kidding me with this shit? It's so weird. I mean, whatever. Uh, Next, just, just as long as you don't show me Skeletons with cobwebs. The dog man got a little answer to the, uh, uh, when I read the book, The Shining, there is a mm. character there who's like, um, uh, it's, uh, he's the gay lover of a 20s party person yeah. and he's dressed up like a dog. Um, but the, the thing I really like about that dog man shot uh, is the dog man comes out, that's great. But then with the guy who's blowing, like, comes up, he's kind of got, like, a little smile on his face. It's not even, like, scary. He's yeah. like, what do you, well? You talking about the guy in the tux? Yeah. The, yeah, yeah, he's looking at it like, <laughs> not bad, huh? Living the life. Am I right? That's, a, that's another Kubrick moment in this book that talks about them having a discussion on set. I forget who he's talking to, where someone goes to Kubrick and says, what the hell does this mean? And he goes, I don't know, people will put whatever meaning they want. Yes. Yeah. And uh, with that, the thing that most kind of blew me away, Diane Johnson, the co-writer, said he would think about things in terms of Stanley Kubrick in terms of ideas and notions. Like, it's clear that he probably chose Native American architecture imagery for the hotel because it suggests something about America's place in the world. And, and so that's just a feeling he follows. But she said, I'm sure you remember this. She said like, he would never have any, um, internal self-reflection of what's this mean to me, which I think every single creative person usually has. So when a genius doesn't have that, you kind of go, Ooh, is that messing things up? Should or, you just kind I mean, of drain, like, what's this mean to me kind of thing and just go purely on, like, idea that's and why feeling? He, he's a singular filmmaker, I think, because he simultaneously has one of the biggest egos and then zero ego. Right. In a way that no other filmmaker has, in a ratio that no other filmmaker well, has. Well, and the takes seem like what you gather from the book isn't so much that it was this meticulous guy who had an idea for the one thing he was after, yeah. and he would wait, take and take and take until he got the thing he knew he needed. It seems way more, I know lots of people like this, they don't want to be in an editing room and have zero options. So yeah. it's just like, yeah, if I do 60 takes... I know there's going to be something in there that when I mix it with this other take, it's something magical is going to happen. So why not just have as many? Yeah, this was going on on Instagram, and I forget who it was. 
If he was an actor from one of his films, why do I think it's Matt Damon telling the story or something? It might have been Matt Damon saying, like Stanley Kubrick's explanation for that is you spend months in pre-production. Oh, that's David Fincher's argument. Yeah. Oh, but Matt Damon might have that's said right. that's what David Fincher's argument for why he does it. I think I yeah. saw that. Yeah. Yes. Just all this money, treasure, blood, sweat, toil, and tears. And then you're going to do two takes. You've got all these beautiful sets, yeah. all this lighting. Well, you and use it. And I've you- been in those uh, production meetings. The fucking whoever got 15, 20 minutes in the meeting to discuss how we're going to. Yeah. Figure out this. Sure, it should be this way that a department gets what it wants on the day that they're shooting. They got all their time to make sure it was at their best. Yeah. It is a little frustrating as an actor when you're like, okay, we got two, yeah. three takes. Let's move on. Yeah. It's like, y'all had your yeah. time to really kind of, why are we moving? This is the thing that matters most. Yeah. This but, is, by the way, our hundredth take of this podcast <laughs> that we're listening to. We've I mean, been here for days. I mean, it is funny that Scatman Crothers is in Bronco Billy in 1980. And Clint Eastwood all, all, is like, you'd hope you could get two takes. And don't they reportedly say him saying on that set, like, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, you have am no I idea doing what this I just right? Let from. me know if I'm doing something wrong. Like, clearly rattled by... Oh, uh, traumatized the poor guy. I wonder what his experience was in the... Uh, Harlem Globetrotters visit Gilligan's Island. Good question. He's good in that too. You know, a shark attacks the Globetrotters, uh, but they just throw basketballs in its mouth to get it away. That's what you do. Yep. Take uh, take note, Brody. Uh, the um, thing though with um, Kubrick wanting a bunch of takes and uh, not, yeah, just who that uh, oh person was. Yeah. Oh, that there was no self reflection. It just it, it kind of had to get pointed out by the Toshin book we're talking about, but I had never really thought about how like, oh, this could very be biographical for Stanley Kubrick because it is about somebody who's off to themselves, often at home, working at home, at home yeah, with their family, yeah. all together, and having a creative block, yeah. Like I didn't ever put that together really. Like, oh, Jack. Nicholson is his character's experience a writer's block, but that's like Kubrick's main thing is like, when's another movie going to come out? Why does it take so long for him to find the thing he finally wants to do? When you watch it, you're kind of like, oh, that does seem like whole movies. Yeah, (laughs) because wasn't it down to this in Trom Novel, which Mm -hmm. would have become Eyes Wide Shut at this time? And I wonder if it was the block element that spoke to him so much about this that he took this over that. I, and also, there you could make a case that they're both parallel movies because they're both his uh, marriage movies. Yeah. They're both kind of like trying to figure out how two people actually work together when they have their own right. internal lives, right? Yeah. But the... Uh, the um, yeah, so that... Uh, uh, and, and it's all a family affair, too. Like, his daughter was yeah. working on it. And um, I like the quote that his wife said... She didn't want, she didn't ever come visit him on set though, because she didn't ever want him to have to see him pretend be like nice for her sake. Yeah. It sounded sort of like, I know how things go there. I don't need to, I like him at home. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, because all reports of this book is when he was with his family, he was very jovial, lighthearted, yeah. and 
Not funny. Quite, yeah. Yeah. So he definitely had modes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, um, just thinking of the different people we meet along the way. I really like that guy, Bill, uh, who's, um, Ullman's like assistant, the yeah. guy who plays Pontius Pilate. Yes. In Jesus Christ and Superstar. He died like not long after this movie, Did he? right? Yeah. I think, yeah. Well, he's in Superman 3 also. That's he's right. the guy who's yeah. worried about the green things bubbling. Yeah. <laughs> That's the script character <laughs> name. But the thing I would noticed in Bill that I think is pretty funny, um, in the job interview, he's like nice. And then when Jack comes, he kind of seems like put out. It's like, okay. Do we have to be nice anymore? Yeah, well, he's got done. the job. Yeah. Like, he seems really put out the whole time. He's like, fine. Well, okay. it also seems like I have an inkling you might die. Yes, so, yes. Like, like in Vietnam, when a new recruit would come in, they wouldn't be nice because they didn't want to get emotionally attached. You don't have an emotional, uh, emotional attachment to this nice uh, Torrance family yeah. that have to say goodbye to them. <laughs> um, oh, just one thing about that uh, job interview scene, though, dude, is like... Um, I'd say I probably have like three fave scenes mm. in this movie, and this is one of them. Okay, I love whatever that thing is of normal pleasantries becoming hypnotic. Like when I'm watching that scene, there comes a point where I'm like, my mind sort of drifts, and I'm thinking about other. Th- things but at the same time it's all like benign and friendly and like sunlit what a weird little experience in that job interview it must be just you cannot separate the fact that you know what's to come so that's that's also informing the scene yeah and you're trying to like read the entire time of like who know i uh i mean we could talk about how that hospital scene got cut yeah Partly it was because they thought it made Allman seem too much like the mastermind because right. he brings the ball to Danny and hands it to him like, Ooh, yeah. uh, this was always in my control. Like, that's what's interesting too about that job interview scene is like how sinister do they think they, the hotel owners think they are. But and- was that ending present in the script when they shot that scene? So was that underlying you're right i mean tension that even there anyway you could yeah easily still put that ending scene on and telegraph it to that but i i don't think it Mm-mm, was yeah. arrived at you're yet. right so yeah and um in terms of that uh end scene there's a couple pictures of it in the book yeah but um and we can talk more fully sort of about the backstory behind it but i was thinking like i think john landis got to see the Friday morning screening of The Shining at like the Westwood Theater. Mm-hmm. So he got to see the hospital scene before it got cut. What a brag yeah. for somebody who got to, like that's a true, like you got to see the movie on opening day. To He has a few of those you had to be there moments. <laughs> true, that's true. That guy's lived a life. <laughs> um, I'm a... Um, I have a really great coffee table book that's based on his life that uh, I brought along with me on the vacation and read my friend. Uh, are you serious? Yeah. Oh, wow. Interesting. Oh, it's like one of those great. like European books. Like it wasn't put, it was written oh, by somebody else. But Like um, back in the day? No, I got it like uh, 2005 or six. I have to hand it to the Europeans. They're not afraid to embrace the art of problematic people, you know? 
Well, and the celebration throughout the book is like uh, they talk about how American his comedy is. Yeah. And when I watch it, I'm like, oh, it is capital A American. Uh, I'm not saying I always agree that you should always celebrate the art of problematic people, but sometimes it is... Everyone has to make their own decisions. We've had I'm this fine. discussion I before. Think that's with totally. Yeah. Uh, fine. Now that Kevin People Spacey has their... been completely vindicated, we can have him on the pod. We can finally get back to consenting adults and pop that in again. <laughs> oh man, I just want to see his die job Uzi and Texas Switch motorcycle out of truck. <laughs> oh my god, oh. consenting adults more than any other. Kubrick movie grows better yeah. with each year. Well, couldn't they? Why couldn't they have done a sequel? Uh, um, oh, I can't believe I haven't mentioned this, Matt. They really buried the lead here. There's a shining music sync up. Oh. I got to share with you. What is it? What and, is it? And uh, Matt, I will also I'm share with you. I'm on Nins and Peedles. I will also share with you. This is a nice little surprise for you, my friend. Um, While you're looking that up, I was... At Slidey... Oh, oh go. No, no, no. no. What say? I was just going to say that Paul and I were, were wearing the reverse thing. <laughs> yeah. These kind of lounge pants and uh, I had lounge... My, Crocky shoes and yeah. t-shirts. Yeah, let's show this. This is for the live streamers. Yeah, for the live stream, you get to see I'm wearing gray shirt, blue pants, blue Crocs. I'm wearing blue shirt, white pants, white Crocs. <laughs> also, we, the live streamers get to see how much I yawn during a recording, which is <laughs> in no way indicative of the conversation. I just never sleep well, so I yawn every day, all day, every day. Oh, yeah. and But if Matt really doesn't like what somebody's saying, he'll kind of do, he'll pinch his nose like P.U. Yeah, yeah. and put a thumbs down yeah. or pretend to sleep. Yeah, I'm sure you can hear it, but you see that it's more frequent than you would hear it. So sorry, I'm excited to. Oh yes, of course. It's um so, and this is a little like I did a little work behind the scenes uh, with um uh this person who's on Twitter. uh, You guys should follow him at Sliding Bears, San Sam Goncalvas, and. he previously, he's a, he's a listener of the pod. Oh. He'll hear about the sync-ups, just so people know. It's like The Wizard of Oz, yeah. Dark Side of the Moon, music, movie sync-up. He'll sometimes take the thing and he'll edit it together and oh, put them right, online right. or send them to me. And I was like, hey, I figured out one for The Shining. Uh, I'll tell you that. Uh, before anybody else and he said okay nice because I know you nice. like these buddy yeah. he said okay so I said it to him and he came back to me and he was like you're right I loved it and I've edited it together he oh. did the whole movie uh, edited it, the music what I'm going to share with you oh my god um, and um, I think uh, he and I will figure it out but hopefully people can see some versions of it. Uh, uh, but what if the music you chose was just the soundtrack to the shining <laughs> and it's just like 20 minutes long. It's just on a loop for six, seven dimes. Um, okay. So what's the music that syncs with what the shining? It? What is it? It is daft punks, random access memories. Now, look, guys, it's one of the best produced albums. Maybe the How last great, great start? produced album. How do you know? 
Brother, with this one, it took a lot. Okay. I was trying every, for the last two years, trying to find something to sync with The Shining. And I'm glad I waited. Daft Punk's random access memories. And what do they have when they're in the Overlook, but just a bunch of randomly accessed memories, synth, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, this is what you do. You get that album on. When the Warner Brothers Shield. Wait, can you not play us a little bit of this? Oh, yeah. You want to see it? Well, yeah. I think we could just see a couple seconds. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, There's probably a way to share my screen, but I'm not even going to try to mess with that right now. I'm too afraid. Um, no, of course. Of course. Um, so it's, yes, after you... Um, after the Warner Brothers logo goes away, mm -hmm. when it fades to black, as soon as that logo fades to black, hit play on random access memories, put it in a playlist so it doubles. Okay. Full album uh, play. And then again. And then another one just right after. It's even better on the second, sure. the second play. Okay. Um, and the cool thing, of course, about all of this is that it's um, entirely intentional <laughs> on the musicians' parts. And the filmmakers' parts. Um, Kubrick knew. <laughs> I'm getting the thing, but I can't get the thing, man. That's and I don't. Right. Okay. That's okay. Uh, we'll, but soon people yeah. will see it and uh, You'll have a ball. Repost it. We can uh, post a link on the Patreon as well. That's right. That's yeah. right. We That's should right. be posting all of these. If there are past ones, we should be putting those up. Oh, I think so. Yeah. They're, Send me the links. They're a hoot. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, the um, uh, and it doesn't work with the European version, right? Come on. Too guys. bad, Europe. Come you should have been American. <laughs> you blew it. You blew it. Uh, the uh, uh, oh, just um. Should we just, uh, this was stuff that wasn't in the book, but uh, just some kind of look out for this. Yeah. Oh, I love it. When Danny goes to room 237 uh -huh. and he touches the doorknob yeah. across the hall, my eyes probably have seen this a hundred times, never noticed it until somebody online pointed it out. On the other side of the hallway, there's a full door just open. Ooh but open to expose the beam of the set. What? He's, the little carpenter would love this, my friend. You get to see like the how the facade was made. <gasps> it's like a full-on like community theater like, oh, when you look behind the door, you kind of see I the, love this cuz yeah. it just it just pokes so many holes in everybody's theory that Kubrick was so meticulous and so plotted and so conspiracy minded. Yeah. Oh, well, right. Of course they'll never see it that way. Cause now they will see that as an intentional Kubrick message to conspiracy about the moon landing and how it was fake. Yeah. All the continuity stuff, the stuff that doesn't like match up, it seems like it's a, uh, um, it came out of, uh, they might have even known the mistake was there. It was just like photographically it wouldn't, look right now a door open probably is a true accident but yeah but like um I, I, I don't know like the chair that goes disappears and reappears behind jack during the argument with uh wendy mm -hmm. that like i think is just like oh in that book you get uh such the impression that they keep going back and reshooting scenes over and over so that could even be absolutely yeah 
separated months by weeks. Apart, yeah, weeks or months, yeah. And I noticed Jack Nicholson looked really tired. <laughs> uh, like when the moment when he goes and he starts hearing the 1920s music and he walks down the hall and the balloons yeah. and streamers are in the lobby. I was like, you could tell that band is beat. Yeah. It's like towards the end of shooting. Oh, I noticed. I thought it was funny. Uh, in the book, Jack Nicholson would show up late sometimes and he showed up super late on the day that they're shooting the shot where they're walking out of the hedge during the tour. Uh-huh. And I rewatched it. He seems really young over. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. He's actually late to the shot too. Like, yes, he's he just running, running. Sorry, sorry, sorry. He's like zipping up. Um, that little thing has a cool moment too. Have you noticed that like they're walking out of the hedge and their conversation continues uninterrupted, but it goes from like 90 angle to this, like they're walking out of the hedge and uh-huh. then you'll notice they cut and then they're walking across the, yeah, the front of it. But it's like, how did this come about? Well, and the, and the answer is in the cup, but they like just jumped it. Your brain does a little. That's this has come up before where I have I know there's a term for this, even though that is not intentional. But there's a narrative structure term where someone is doing a monologue, even though there's a great passage of time between cuts, even even changes in location. It's or that, set. but it's I know what you're talking yeah. about, but it's like in the same scene i wish i could remember what the name of that because that thing is always so fucking funny to me in a movie where it's like hold that thought let's get in a taxi and let's go to the cafe and i'll answer your question so what happened in between yeah it's always in heists yes so they're like dinner yeah they're at like a bowling alley well then how are we gonna get the money out Cut to the diner. donut shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you this is how we donut. get it out. Well, yeah. you had to wait for that. <laughs> Same with a movie when it's like, uh, wait, where are we going? No, somebody comes in. Come with me. We gotta get out of here. Why? Why? What? What? What's going on? I'll tell you on the way. <laughs> and it's like, you tell me now. It's a little weird. I'll tell you on the way. Okay. What are you a fucking movie? <laughs> Yeah, I am. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm teaching Chong's next movie. <laughs> uh, I noticed um, probably the thing that in the section of the movie that has the most um, stuff that was deleted and kind of was always getting reshaped is the like half hour after they get to the hotel because mm-hmm. there's that whole section where Jack finds the scrapbook. Right, yeah, that's an interesting section, especially. Talk about an interesting cut. Yeah. Him getting the scrapbook. Yeah. looking at the scrapbook. You would think, and I think you could argue, that you still need a little bit of that, but it's not there, even though it was shot. Yeah, the uh, scene with him, after finding the scrapbook, talking to Wendy about the scrapbook and being like, I think there's a book in this. Yeah, all that stuff. exactly, and filling in that scrapbook fills in a lot of information about things you see throughout the movie. Grady, I think the scene in the red bathroom yeah. would be funnier. Not that it has to be. It just would be funnier if you knew he saw Grady in the newspaper clippings and he's seeing him now. Like all that stuff he's yeah. doing is like, are you, you work here long, That's, Mr. Grady? It's like so yeah. funny if he's like trying yeah. to like figure out like, what the fuck am I, I, know, I looking at? What are you at? doing here? That's what's so magical about having that scrapbook. 
yes. with this Toshin collection is looking through it yes. and then seeing the whole film in a different light. I and mean, maybe there's a way when we cover this book stuff that we can at least put some of it up to the live stream. Yeah. 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 You see a, um, the scrapbook, the prop in the argument scene about when I'm typing, don't come yeah. in and bother me. So you see like hints of it. And like I said, I've read the book and the scrapbook is the thing. That's the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the other thing that I think gets robbed a little bit if that scrapbook was in there, not that I think it should be, but if it was, I think the all work and no play thing would totally hit really hard. Because you think he's working on a Because he told you he's yeah, working on yeah. this, and then you're like, this motherfucker yeah. lied to me and is going crazy? Oh, heaven is a screening room where you get to see <laughs> this version. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Lee Unkrich got so close. I mean, he says, though, he never even got to see the footage of the deleted scene, so he's like, that must have gotten burnt up. That just doesn't exist. That's what's so crazy. Yeah. Kubrick is burning. That you would be so perfect footage. about certain things and then at the end be like, and now it's done. It's all. I mean, yeah. that's, it's poetically tragic and I, yeah. don't know, I don't know what it is, but. Uh, but the, um, yeah, when they're, uh, that, that, that scene would, when she's looking through the thing, I think would be more powerful. The, um, what seems to be the exchanges is like, from what I could kind of read between the lines, it seems like once the hedge maze, the decision of it being a maze, that that then kind of became the theme, and there was sort of or or motif, and there is better word maybe, and like there's just no room now for the scrapbook stuff because you see it does get replaced with in the scene where he finds the scrapbook instead he goes over to the maze and looks down. Hmm. And when I watch it, I do get the impression when you watch it, you're like, Jack sees more. He's in cahoots with the hotel and that he can have the power to sort of overlook mm -hmm. <laughs> the wife and the, what they're going up to and he can control them. And just, it sort of puts into full whatever, just like they keep hinting at, the hotel is like a maze. I'd have to drop breadcrumbs to find a way. The hedge is a maze. Going in up your own ass <laughs> is a maze. It, it just seems kind of like I, that'll do. I, I'm not saying it's the, I'm just saying it seems I, to be I'd what replaced to, it. I'd love to see it because you could see where the getting the scrapbook is the unlocking of the ability to for him to go over to a model and now see it. Right. Mm -hmm. with the bird's eye viewer. Well, he finds the scrapbook because that ball, he's bouncing a ball yeah. and the ball rolls him to where he needs to go. Yeah. So that's also oh, so cool. very, it's cool. It's also super paranormal by that point though. Yeah. Like you don't really get or, the like paranormal relief until the door of the pantry is open. It's paranormal, but it also, depending on the ending would be, this is where Barry Nelson's character yeah. is triggering it all. Or, yes. You know. Yeah. Um, the thing that I felt that got, was written and got rewritten and wasn't put together was the, um, that I was like, this would have been the, if, if they're going to lose the scrapbook, have this scene instead, it was written. And I get the feeling that because Danny Lloyd's days had to be limited. Yeah. As we've learned in the book and that Jack Nicholson at a certain point was going to have to get paid more way they kept more yeah. way more and so as soon as that happened they got him out i think that's why there's less scenes with the family all together even that scene uh, that i was talking about where danny yeah. comes in abused 
when she's walking away with him, I've always, for the last like 10 years, been like, I think she's holding not Danny. Well, that scene. They, they have a lot and of then doubles. The book, proved yeah, it. Yeah. the book proved that when she's walking yeah. away with him at the end, that is a double. And so, so you, you spied that before uh-huh. you read that. And what was it about that? The, the hair looked different. Interesting. And, and the degree that they were going with not even seeing any face. I was like, that's weird. The fact that I could have been perfect for these films, this and Friday the 13th part four, but that I could have even just played his body double with my hair, you know? Oh, I know it's a heartbreaker. I know. Uh, uh, but the, um, all of that, just that they were together, um, the three of them and, uh, Oh, the scene that didn't get shot, I think because of time limitations, but if they could have had it, I thought it was an awesome scene originally that they had had on the script where it's still there. The mom and dad, the Danny and Wendy go out and have a snowball fight and Jack's watching them. Yeah. But in the scene that was written, they're having the three of them are having a snowball fight and Jack gets like out of hand and starts getting too aggressive. And I was like, that would have been awesome because it would have been whatever this parallel thing that the shining is, which is you go partly, the ghost is taking over. He's getting haunted by the hotel and becoming a bad guy. And also dads can just be moody dicks yeah. sometimes. And that's uh, the, and it's accelerating that. Yeah. 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 So that would have been cool. I yeah. think having that and that, that scene when they're having that snow fight is when they cut to him and they have the full on like now Jack is crazy. Yeah. So if that would have maybe, uh, who knows? <laughs> um, the, um, uh, the idea of where they're shooting and stuff. Oh, that hedge is supposed to be in the back of the hotel. Isn't that crazy? Well, okay. This is a huge thing, right? When they show the helicopter shot of the overlook, there's no hedge to be seen at all. Right. And you get a little bit of a glimpse of the backyard to know that the hedge wouldn't be there. But if you think the hedge is in the front, but it's not, it's yeah. The whole set they built was the rear of the hotel, even though it looks. Yeah. Which like, took me so long to figure out. But am I right? That's a, Glaring mistake when they yeah sh- yeah and that's another one that's just like yeah no well, when you deal. also see um, snow skiing equipment like chairlifts off yeah. to the side and they say that they can't do snow skiing but I notice in the rec room video game area all that's decked out with snow skiing posters so is the idea not so much that there's no skiing that goes on on the overlook it's just during winter months there can't be because it's too much snow it's like yeah it gets cold enough up here that there's always snow on the mountain oh yeah so you can go spring. skiing in the spring yeah it must be but so that's why we have the chair lifts but it it's also a kind of a weird thing when you see the yeah. chair lifts, you're like are you sure you guys can't have yeah, it that is weird um oh we're in all uh the first all snowboarding <laughs> resort oh well that reminds me you know we're like oh thank god this was made during a time where a kid's haircut will always look cool the hairstyles the hairstyles in the wardrobe are timeless enough or they just caught it during a time where the 70s and 80s looked cool. Yeah. Like I was thinking, if this had made just like a little years later, instead of him being in a big wheel, it'd be him like rollerblading. Oh, God. <laughs> there was a period, though, when this movie was very dated and, you know, the bowl cut and everything was a, it gave a bad cringe, not a good cozy mm-hmm. cringe. Like it had to come full circle, you know. It did, and I could see that the music maybe a couple times seemed like of a of a period. But yeah. that music now is just uh, that again with the book. It the thing that blew me away. I didn't know before this that The Shining was 
the sound editor Costa is like it'd make a musicologist like uh, pull their hair out, but they just took different pieces of music and combined it to make their own yeah. score. And so that scene where the two of them are sitting on the bed together, Jack and Danny, which is a scene I never was ever one of my favorites. But now I watch it and I'm like, you know, the story was that they had edited the whole scene together and he was like, Stanley Kubrick wanted to be quiet. The guy was like, I think I could maybe put music to that. He's like, if you want to. And he did. And Stanley Kubrick saw it and was like, oh yeah, let's keep it in, which oh, would be like, oh my yeah, God, the praise of praise. I pleased God. But if you watch it, it's pretty much only one shot and it manages to use that. Talk about sync ups. I can't even recall. Like layer it. So he's like, he asks a question. It's like, like all that weird but it's happening on the bed where um you know when the jack and wendy are first talking about getting used to staying here and she brings them breakfast that scene is in the mirror Uh and you see a stovington that's the school from the book it's backwards in the mirror and so you realize like oh i'm looking at this in the mirror this scene that's the mirror that becomes the red rum mirror oh my god so they're setting up the idea that that mirror can like uh, uh, cast forth back and forth. Uh, yeah, it's cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, but the um, yeah, that scene on the bed with the dad is total like when you're a kid, you're like, whoa, dad's going through something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's going on with dad? It's a Wonderful Life has a great moment like that when Jimmy Stewart comes back angry. Yeah. He's like smashing stuff that he's like, can you just stop playing the fucking piano? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, the post. Yeah. yeah, everybody remembers what dad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah. Have you ever had one of those come home moments? Um, no. Yeah, I'm I don't, I don't rage. I sulk a little. I'm trying to think of dad got weird. I can cry at movies and have an emotional response. And sometimes I, I wonder for a kid, it's kind of like, don't do that. Oh, I just mean specifically, <laughs> did you, have you ever come home when you come home in a bad mood? I'm so conscious of how my dad used to do it that I go the other way and I'm almost like, look, I need help. I'm not feeling good. You know, rather yes. than like, God damn it. I mean, not that I'm above like, uh, those times where you react out of frustration, you know, and yeah, no, I, uh, the things that like, uh, kid parent kind of strong reactions that I have, um, that it's not like, Oh, and I have to fight the impulse to pick up an ax. Yeah. But they're like <laughs> physical, um, like, um, like a foot randomly like kicking me is like, whoa, ah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> and as a parent, you have to be like, kids have feet, kids feet yeah. move, but it is like a, um, and I've never like lost my temper, but it is that thing of just like, um, I don't know. I feel like that's a little bit in the, um, the red bathroom scene, which, um, the the Lloyd bartender Grady scenes are like also my 
favorite scenes in the yeah, movie. Me too. And when Jack and Grady are having that whole conversation and he's like, um, hey, you got to get your lady in line. Your wife's out of control. Your son's out of control too. And there's a this black guy, black chef, who, you know, he uses yeah. a worse word, uh, uh, is... Um, is coming in to mess things up for you. And it's so funny because in that moment, Jack Torrance is like, <laughs> out of 80 takes that you had, he chose like such a crazy ones. Like what he goes, uh, she uh, interferes. And then his eyes that. like dart around. Yeah. Like, and I, when I see that, I partly see it as like, it's what must've been happening in the backyards of, conversations between two men in 1979 all the time at that moment, which was a guy being like, they are very willful, aren't they? Willful little boys we're having right now. And then being like, yeah, well, the problem is uh, it's the wife. She, uh, she interferes. It's like a dark comedy moment of like, this is how probably Stanley Kubrick sees two dudes right now, how they like work through whatever their little fears are in this moment of how they talk about the things that scare them. And like the getting, this is the, you know, like a weird new uh, nuance isn't the word, Mm -hmm. but just coming from what Stephen King's reason for writing this, at least behind it, there is a human part of all of us that understands a little bit of that. It's not even right. It's not even good. That kind of like, Oh, I can't, I can't have my thoughts, you know, because uh-huh. when you enter into a partnership and then a bigger family, you gain so much more than what you sacrifice, but what you sacrifice is that pure independence and whatever primeval thing is inside the competition of a, of a male or mm-hmm. whatever still resides in, and in different, you know, like ratios to different people. But I, I've, you feel that unjustified, irrational Mm -hmm. sometimes feel of like what do I got to do to get a little piece which is so Mm -hmm. horrible Mm -hmm. and that's why this movie is so fascinating to me because it allows you to look at your darker side which Mm -hmm. I think is what King was exploring Mm -hmm. and it's fun to see it I find it very fun to watch this movie and to see that be the villain the driving impulse of the villain because it I don't feel, I think a lot of like you get a lot of people like, especially with like woke culture where they see it reflected back and they recognize it in themselves and they feel like they're being told they're the villain. I don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. I feel like I like to lampoon this because I recognize it mm-hmm. and I want to see it satirized. I want to see it belittled. I want to yeah, see yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. I want to be a part of moving on from it. Yeah, yeah, know? yeah, yeah. And, and to reflect it in great horror and comedy is such a powerful way to do that. It just if if it fuels it, it feeds me. I, really I agree. Like it. Yeah, definitely. I uh, I feel the same way. I mean, whatever that uh, thing that it seemed to be what um, the Stanley Kubrick and um, Stephen King both agreed on yeah. with the material was that there's something in whatever the like hostility that gets sort of has to be like reshaped in a way. And like, where does that, 
go. I mean, it's funny because, you know, with uh, Stephen King doesn't like the adaptation infamously and stuff, all that. And, um, I, you know, I think there's different reasons for why that could be. The way he talks about Shelley Duvall in that movie, though, I think it boils down to as much as Stephen King used his wife as inspiration in the book. And she, for the listener, was a much more like um, a character, a lot more agency. They were really originally going to cast Jane Fonda based on the mm-hmm. book. And uh, uh, Jack Nicholson was suggesting uh, Jessica Lange, yeah. people you would see. Um, but um, I think it's a little bit like uh, Stephen King's got to go home and talk to his wife. <laughs> And like, what are you fucking doing to me, dude? You're making my wife. You're making my wife look like she just tolerates the monster who is me. I think it's a little like, e don't, because that yeah. seems to be the thing he harps on most. Interesting. Is she's not just a yeah. dish rag. Wendy's not just a dish rag. She's more than that. Okay, but like, so yeah, I think that's interesting. A, that's a really interesting perspective. That it's more the reflection of him that he's concerned about. Yeah, and then with the that Shelley Duvall sense. aspect, I I will just say this. People talk about her appearance and whatever. I you mean now? Now, but no. even back then, yeah. it's kind of like, oh, she doesn't look like a woman who yeah. would normally be in a movie, you know. Uh, the way I look at it, I would guess in 1979, if a straight man was offered the opportunity to have sex with this leggy, big-eyed, cool-ass actress who's in amazing movies. You'd sleep with her, dudes. I've always been more attracted to her than Jane Fonda. Yeah, so it's so weird. It's like, that just seems to be the... And the filmmakers, uh, a little disappointing, the Tashin book, the the crew behind it, that's their whole thing. Well, she'd look like that because she'd get pushed around if she looked like that. Yeah. It's too easy of an... I don't see it that way. You don't way. Like that. You don't think Kubrick... I see, doesn't he say as much? I see her personality. What's inside oh, yeah, Shelley yeah. Duvall oh, yeah. is why no, she right. gets cast yeah. in that role. Yeah. But I don't see it as like a... Oh, no. of course he's with her. She's with him. But I think that's a lot of times the 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 lens that people put on that also, movie. Also, like a bit. if you look at the late seventies and what was, you had your Warren Beatty's and your Richard Gears and your Jane Fonda's and your Jessica Langs, but you had your Dustin Hoffman's. Right, and right. You look at like Cindy Williams, mm-hmm. American Graffiti yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. has a Shelley Duvall. I mean, the whole thing about the 70s was like, yeah, thank God they're opening up the doors to people who don't, you know, look like Rock Hudson. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But, uh, and I think the, I mean, obviously she's, the performance in this is amazing. I think her best thing is, yeah, when she's recounting the abuse, but then the baseball scene, bat scene is like amazing. That's like any actor would love to have, I never questioned her performance or presence in this movie. And then I read all this stuff. I I wasn't aware of it and it wasn't like the cobweb skeleton scene. It didn't elucidate anything to me for them then other than to go, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. I think she's perfect for this film. I think she does an amazing job. I couldn't see it. I cannot imagine it with Jane Fonda. I know the parts written differently for the film. Yeah. Be curious if we do end up watching the TV show 
Because that's Rebecca Rebe- De Mornay. Yeah. They went more in that direction, I yeah. think. Yeah. I, you know, I think it's just a matter of like, uh, uh, yeah, with them, you're just like, they wouldn't put up with Jack's shit as much. Yeah. Like, I, I, it, I, I don't think I've ever seen Jessica Lang play a role where she wasn't the person who's top status in the seat she's the person who gets to make the moves like and the other people are like how do i get to this jessica lang person character like she's the operator and so it 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 just like it helps so much you just go like and it's whatever the thing like yeah you were talking about when people see themselves reflected it's yeah you, you get such a strong reaction to that i think uh the idea even if you're not a mother, the idea of like the not perfect mom also seems to trigger people. So I think that's part of the, right. what they get triggered by with Shelley Duvall when they watch the movie and stuff. But, what if it was Glenn Close as Alex from Fatal Attraction <laughs> as Wendy Torrance? <laughs> just had to fight each other. Well, the, uh, <laughs> I mean, I guess uh, I like that uh, the actor, Danny Lloyd, than the kid from Fatal Attraction. So if we oh, had to yeah. do it. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. To speak to the, the all the performance, I mean, uh, I will go on record. I think the Danny Lloyd performance as Danny is the best kid performance in a movie. Ever. Yes. Well, Maybe E.T. Yeah. I but might he's put- like 12, you know, like if That's you just true. go like, oh, Paper Moon is pretty good with it. But even that is like because it's precocious. It's like, I can't believe a kid's yeah. talking like that. Well, let's put like put a kid at that age. He's six and he's supposed to be six. Is that right? Or he's- Yeah, he turned on his fifth birthday, I think is when he found out he got the part. Okay. It was like his birthday gift. So, so Matt. I have a daughter who's almost six. I can't imagine getting her to sit yeah. still for two hours no and do something over and over again. It's not fair. You're right to say E.T., but are there any movies with a kid that young? That's that good. You may be right. I mean, I mean certainly Kill a Mockingbird, the scout yeah. thing, but I don't know. Certainly no horror movie I can think of. But that could be the thing that brings down the whole movie really is yeah. if Danny sucks. Absolutely. And he's so uh, good. And that's that, so good in the book about the search for Danny too. Yeah. Just all the, throughout the Midwest. And well, and yeah. then after like two days of shooting, the parents came up to Stanley Kubrick and they're like, how's Danny doing? And he's like, your son is great. Yeah. It, that would be like the best thing in the world. Yeah. It's just like, we're all confident in how this is going. And and, and now good Kubrick was to yeah. Danny Lloyd too. You Sweet. Know? Yeah. And how the detail about, they said the parents shared the reason why Danny Lloyd has that kind of like maturity. You see it. You're just like, that's not yeah. how a five-year-old boy usually acts, has that kind of like, and they said it's because he had an older brother and he liked to emulate his older yeah. brother and his older brother was like cool and reserved. Yeah. So it's just such yeah. a like, oh, what a little lightning in a bottle. They found I the know. right kid who was from Illinois and the fact that they wouldn't let him go out in the sun while they were shooting because they liked how he had like the pale yeah. skin and inside the Overlook Hotel. Just those details are yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, anything else, man? I mean, I know we'll have lots to yeah, cover Yeah, I think along we don't need to, to force it into this one. Um, I think we're going to cover everything. Yeah. Our next episode, we'll start diving into the Tashin series and that'll either be one, maybe two. Who knows how long we'll yeah. go. Yeah. Yes. That'll be fun. Yeah. Um, we can rate this movie. I will. I will admit that I've already put our ratings in. Just assuming I know. Yeah. But let's, uh, let's, do you want to talk 
best killer, more likely best thrill. And then we'll do a few baby xenomorphs and then we'll come back and give it a ranking. Great. I'm not speaking for you on this ranking. I just have a prediction. No, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's your best thrill? Mm. Uh, I would say it's the cut to Jack all frozen at the end. Ooh. The other one I would put up there just in terms of like, because it's so funny. And I do, when I'm watching The Shining, you know how I said I don't get too scared? I am laughing a lot. I'm laughing yeah. from beginning to end of that movie. And, and so does that I'm, moment make you laugh? Because that moment yes, makes me laugh. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. also what makes me laugh is when it's like, uh, uh, well, uh, when they're sitting together on the bed and he's like, you know, I'll never do anything to hurt you. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Silent. And it cuts to Tuesday. Yeah. Like, it's so funny to be like, Tuesday has uh, <laughs> like a complete yeah. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, sinister force around it. Tuesday. This is Tuesday when it really shit really starts. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. That final cut to him frozen. I never know how to feel about it. I think ultimately it's, it's something ain't right with it for me because it is kind of unintentionally comedic and looks so strange and the music sting. I'm always a little taken out by that. Mm -hmm. It's maybe why if there's ever like a slightly imperfect moment in this film, that's my imperfect moment for the shining that I like, I just don't really like. And, uh, is Danny's voice when he's like, I like when he's Tony and he talks yeah. like Tony, but when he's like possessed or taken over by the hotel. The red rum voice. Yeah, I like the red rum scene, rum. but when he's like, Danny isn't here, Mrs. Oh. Torrance. Yeah. I just, it, it's corny. It's just kind of a kid doing a spooky, like for yeah. what, that's like the thing where I go, oh. Fuck that kid. Yeah, fuck that kid. Fuck this movie, yeah. I say. Yeah. I say over and over again. I think my best thrill, honestly, is the dog kinky yeah. blowjob just because that culmination of that moment leading into the elevator which you've probably everyone has already seen prior to going into the movie yeah that is just such a non sequitur I have always been so affected by that I have a t-shirt with that on it I, really yeah I'll wait I'll try to remember That's to wear awesome. it next time and my which my grandma asked me one time what's that mean and I went I don't I don't I don't know I don't you know. know you know yeah, that's what I'd say. You know, you know, and I'd you walk know. out. Uh, yeah, the uh, I remember renting that at a sleepover. I thought you meant like renting that costume. <laughs> <laughs> that dog man scene came up. We all flipped out. I'd forgotten it because it must have not have been in the TV version. Oh, it probably maybe. isn't because you also don't immediately, at least I don't, go blowjob. You first, you're right. just trying to put together the pieces. Dog, yes. tuxedo man. <laughs> uh, wait, wait, why is he down on his knees? Oh, wait, he's sitting on his bed. What's that look on his face? Why is he yes. smug? Why is he happy? <laughs> why is the? Why do they turn to look? Then they all look at you, and then you're shamed. And yeah, the uh, you know, but the kill, you know, because there's really only one kill with uh, yeah. Dick um, Halloran. Um, uh, a cool little thing that came out of the book was that the editor originally showed Dick getting two chops yeah. of the axe, yeah. and he said it was really violent and scary, and they decided not to do it. One thing I noticed that was cool about that attack is um, 
uh, you know, Stanley Kubrick is a, a perfectionist and uh, wants things symmetrical and in focused and the sound to be good and cl- with clarity. I've noticed sometimes he'll pick, this happens in Barry Lyndon. There's a moment when shit hits the fan in Barry Lyndon near the end. I've still and, never seen Barry Oh, it's there. great. Yeah. You'll love it. I know it seems like it's going to be boring, but it's in transit. Like hypnosis. Yeah. It's weird. It's like hypnotic. It puts you in this weird trance. But um, there's a... I've seen Larry Bindon. So. <laughs> yeah, he's the insurance guy. Yeah, it's great. Uh, there's a moment where the shit hits the fan and the movie suddenly goes handheld, uh-huh. like verite style, and sometimes kind of gets out of focus and is trying to catch the action. The only time I, I noticed, the only time The Shining goes out of focus and super handheld, like not um, the, uh, why am I the forgetting? The Panaglide Steadicam. Steadicam, steady yeah. Is when Dick gets attacked. There's a uh, full on just out of focus shot of Dick with the thing and you can't see what's happening. It's blurry. And it does seem like to be like, I know this is the part in the movie where you don't think things are in control or it seems out of control. Why did we spend 20 minutes of screen time of Dick finding out about this and traveling to them and coming to them if he was just going to get killed? I do think that like whatever that thing is, is just to kind of be like, yeah, because this is the crazy shit here. Like mm. not even this is in focus and it cuts yeah. out before you even really know what's happening it, it, that's like one of those moments where i go like um the critical response to the shining seemed like people even stephen king was kind of like does this idiot even know how to make a horror movie but now you watch it and you go oh, oh he did and the reason why everything is sunny and well lit is because every other horror movie before yeah. that was dark. I wonder if it was any response to it being too violent a sequence and then they chose a take that was a little bit more obscured or something. Yeah. Yeah. Right. When it gets re-edited, if yeah. that was just chosen as like the... Because it is... Um, doesn't happen in the book. It's the thing they were debating through the whole production right. of the movie. And that's the thing they came to. Um, they even said they were shot it at different places in the hotel where they entered until they finally decided the lobby was the place to go. So you're like, wow, that was really, and it sounds like the decision finally was because he was, Kubrick was worried that this would be a horror movie where the only on-screen death is Jack's at the end. Yeah. So the decision was to, it's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Some xenomorphs. Um, first up, Mandy McKee, well, who should get a shout out from Iron Fleming, don't you see? I say, old boy, and all that. I, I, she would also like me to mention Kansas. Kansas is a state in the United States. Kansas. Kansas. Um, of course, I would be so kind so as to do that. Uh, <laughs> oh. Michael Compton would like the director, Lewis Gilbert, who directed You Only Live Twice, and also The Spy Who Loved Me, and also Moonwaker. He doesn't really have his R's. Moonwaker? Moonwaker. I hope Uh, I don't wake up when the moon comes out. I want a restless night of sleep. I am supposed to say verbatim this 
by H.R. Giger. Cheesecake Jones is the most nefarious member of Pinhead's cart. <laughs> now you say that. That's what this person. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, uh, which one of us did Ernest Borgnine? Or, I mean, this person is, I'll let you take it. Julia Myers as Ernest Borgnine. Julia Myers! <laughs> yeah, Did you know good. I played Marty? <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, okay. Uh, Chris Dewey, what are you, some kind of doomsday machine? That's J.W. Pepper from Live and Let Die. Uh, him and Southern Lawyer could star in a timeless buddy comedy. I'll that's say. true. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, this is cool. People getting to see on the live screaming, you do the voice. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, you too. Uh, okay. Speaking of Southern, speaking of lawyer, speaking of me, um, speaking to Tom Sawyer, I just had to go for the rhyme. Okay. This is um, Daniel Smith and his wife, Cece or Che Che. Um, <laughs> and I would also like Paul to say, Welcome to the South, you bitch. <laughs> Welcome to the South, you bitch. Uh, and <laughs> this is Freddy. I guess so. I noticed a little proto Freddy Krueger with the honey, I'm home, and here's Johnny. Like I was like, yeah. Was he the first at the thing? The the, the funny monster with the kind of pop culture riffs. He, yeah, I think with the announcing too. Yeah, with no uh, here's Johnny. There would be no uh, Welcome to Primetime, bitch. <laughs> Ooh. Kayla K. Long is an actual attorney at law requesting a shout out by me. Not the Northern, not the Eastern, not the good West, good lawyer of the West, but the Southern lawyer. Well, shout out. Okay, and finally for today, we'll get to some more of these. Why am I still talking like this? Because <laughs> it's good. Um, this is just a straight out shout out. Oh, no, Southern Lawyer, hold on. He's back. I'm back. <laughs> Ivan Diaz, come on down. You're the next contestant on The Shout Is Out. The Shout Is Out? <laughs> All right. What are you going to rank this movie, Paul? Oh, 13 out of 13. Me too. Is there a 14? We don't go that high. If we could, though, we'd do 14 out of 13. This is a pretty high 13 for me. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, this is as good as any of the 13s. And whatever that I know, maybe it's um you could put it to Rosemary's Baby and The Exorcist, but whatever that slow mm. scare creep vibe that is awesome and it kind of seems to be the thing that is the coolest thing today mm-hmm. in horror movies. Um, I've thought about how you know when we were kids, Matt, people were always like, MTV is so hyper cutting and edited and mm-hmm. short attention span. What the fuck are these kids going to make when they when they're at the controls? It's going to be so spastic. These kids raised on Yeah. And it the, follows. Yeah, but the thing I thought I was like they didn't know that when they were watching MTV, they were also flipping over to USA or the Saturday morning show and watching The Shining and whatever that vibe that got into everybody's heads when they were kids. I think that's like yeah. why that's in horror movies. It really is a little ringworm in your I brain. Agree. I agree. And I'll, I mean, a lot of the best movies these days are slow burners, I think. Yeah. yeah. And this is a, a slow burner in cold weather to boot. <sighs> I have a question maybe for Umar. I wonder how many 
13 rated movies we have. And soon we should do, if there are 10 of them, that's good. We should do a ranking of the, it's like an all-stars bracket. Of the 13 out of the 13. That's yes. I know. Cage match. Umar, you can look into that at your leisure if you feel like it because you're the best. Um, definitely. And uh, I saw everybody. Thank you for joining us on the live stream. You guys are the best. Is there a way? I want to be able to uh, read this, the chat later. Too. Yeah, well, that's the thing. If you're a live screamer, a baby xenomorph level, we're going to sign off for the podcast now, but we'll, we'll probably stick around for a little bit on the live stream and we can answer some questions. So podcasters, yeah. see you next week for deep dive into the trivia and facts about the shine. Yeah, there's some uh, stuff here that uh, we didn't even scratch the surface oh, no. that I'm really stoked to talk about. You saw how many bookmarks I have in that book. It's oh, insane. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I have... Uh, I wrote it down on a little piece of paper with the numbers and then a oh, little keyword good. of what I like. We'll about just go it. through chron- chronologically. Yeah. I love it. Wonderful. Okay, bye everybody. Bye. For more Gorley and Rust content, head over to patreon.com slash with and Rust to get episodes ad-free and a whole week early. Plus monthly mailbag episodes and feature-length watch-along film commentaries of your favorite horror classics. That's patreon.com slash with and Rust. Email us at withgorleyandrust at gmail.com and your questions might be featured on a future mailbag episode. With Gorley and Rust theme song by me, Matt Gorley, and performed by Townland. You can find us on Instagram as Townland Band, as well as Paul's fantastic band at Don't Stop or We'll Die. And why not rate and review With Gorley and Rust on Apple Podcasts? It'll help us grow the show and keep us trucking through the Jasons and the Michaels, the Leatherfaces and the Chuckies, the Aliens and the Ken. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.